You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing, 50 direct commands to sing. Of course, the longest book in the Bible is Psalms. What is it? It's a book of songs. And in the New Testament, we're commanded not once but twice to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another when we meet. That's Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. Why does God so often tell us not to simply praise Him, but to sing His praises when we meet? Why not just pray? Why not just preach? Why are we supposed to sing? Why are God's people throughout history always singing? Why words and music and not just words? Why does God want us to sing? One reason is that God himself sings. In Zephaniah 3.17, God exalts over his people with loud singing. On the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus sang hymns with his disciples. Hebrews 2.12 applies Psalm 22.22 to Jesus when it says, In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And Ephesians 5 tells us that one effect to being filled with the Spirit is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. In the book of Ezra, God's people celebrated the rebuilding of the temple foundation with trumpets, symbols, and singing thanksgiving and praises to the Lord. The walls of Jericho fell before God's people after six days of trumpets and that mighty shout of praise on the seventh day. Paul and Silas shook the very earth with their prayers and the singing of hymns while being held in prison. The book of Acts tells us that the foundation shook so violently that all the doors were thrust open and everyone's chains were loose. The truth is, we worship a God who sings and he wants us to be like him. That's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to sing our praises to the Lord, to make that joyful noise before the Lord, not just go through the motions, but to truly understand what we're singing. We start each week's service with song. But do we really take the time to think about what the message attached to each song is? What we're really saying to God? Are we singing to him? Are we exalting his name by singing about him? I want to take the time today to give you the stories behind the songs we sing today. I want you to see what the composers were thinking when they put pen to paper to sing God's praises. So we're going to tell a story about each song. First song is Build Your Kingdom Here. Matthew 10, 5 to 15 says this. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others And he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and to place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. Don't carry a money bag, a traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. 
Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they offer you, for the worker is worthy of his wage. Don't be moving from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off as a witness against you even the dust of your town that clings to our feet. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. This song came from a place of calling the church back to the place of praying for revival. I feel like the church has matured, and we must mature beyond just asking God to come over and do stuff. Jesus sent the disciples out in twos to proclaim kingdom. It seems the more mature approach would be pray for God to build his kingdom here, yes, but also say, God, I'll be the hands and feet. I'll be the vehicle for his kingdom here. The idea of build your kingdom here is that wherever you are at school, at work, at home, that here is exactly where you're supposed to be right now. God's kingdom is his church. Not God, please build your kingdom in Asia or Africa, or, but right here, right now. As the body of Christ, our hope is that as churches around the world sing this song, it will be stirring their faith, and they'll live out the truth of this song. Would you stand and sing with me?
kingdom's power, reaching the near and far. No force of hell can stop your beauty changing hearts. You made us for much more than this. Awake the kingdom's seed in us. Fill us with the Philippians 2 says that God exalted Jesus to the highest place and has given him the name that is higher than any other name. That's what we're living for as believers in Jesus. We're looking forward to the day that beyond this time, when we stand blameless before God because of what Jesus has done for us, he's given us authority in his name, he's given us healing and redemption in his name. Our identity is wrapped up in the name of Jesus. As children of God, we are living for the glory of someone else, the son of the living God. Jesus is the only name that matters. The older I get, the songs I heard growing up mean more and more and more to me. That Bill Gaither song, right? There's something about that name. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We've seen that in the past year. Sickness has had to bow to the name of Jesus. Bondage of any kind is broken at the name of Jesus. Not only at his name, but also the name, his name on the lips of someone who is walking in the identity that his name provides for us. It's one thing to be words. Words don't mean anything unless it's backed up by life. That's the same thing with faith. Faith without works is dead. Now, we're not saying you have to work to show that you have faith, but faith produces work. We're just on the cusp of this, and we feel like babes in the woods, but I feel like when we get a hold of this, the atmosphere shakes. When you really believe that, it begins to change the way you act. It changes everything. It changes what's important to you. It's all wrapped up in the name and the person that is Jesus. Philippians 2.5-11 through 11 says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death, 
even to death on a cross. For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Once again, would you stand and sing with us?
might as well sit. I apologize, this is going to be an up-down day. The other day I heard someone say that some people meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. But for others, their conversation is more like meeting him on the road to Emmaus, a gradual realization that Jesus is with them, alongside them, igniting their hearts and opening their eyes. It struck me that this is another good thing to remember, not just when we're praying for our friends and family who do not yet know God for themselves, but for those for us within the church as well. Sometimes God acts with such power that we're left stunned and silent. But at other times, he works quietly, almost imperceptibly, gently warming our hearts to him. Remembering this makes me even more amazed at the power of those three little words, God is able. Those three little words, God is able. God is able to work in ways that we can never hope to predict. This song's composer, Reuben Morgan, Put it this way. This song was written last year with a specific weekend in mind. We were approaching our annual event where we gather as a church and make a deliberate choice to give money in support of a unique mission. Often overseas, always doing something to overcome injustice and build the kingdom of God here. It's a great time and I'm always amazed and encouraged by the passion and commitment which people put into it. Many will put aside extra money all year so that they can support this one function. So, knowing this was coming up, I wanted to write a song that reminded us of God's amazing ability to use our generosity in powerful ways. When it comes to the matter of giving, generous hands will never be empty because we are reminded in Ephesians 3, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand one more time.
Please be seated. We will uh, we'll take this time to do what we call scripture in silence. If you're visiting with us, we take this time to reflect. We're so busy all week, we have so many things distracting our lives that we may not take the right time to listen to what God may have for us. So we take this time to read the scripture, reflect on that, spend a little time listening. If you need to spend it in prayer, please do. If you need to just sit in silence, that's okay too. If you have children with you this morning, that's okay. Don't worry about the noise they may or may not make. Um, We also need to learn to be able to sit silently before God in any situation. Psalm 22, 22 to 31. I will proclaim your name to my brothers. I will praise you in the congregation. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or detested the torment of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to help, to him for help. I will give praise in the great congregation because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his own life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and tell a people yet to be born about his righteousness, about what he has done. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you this morning for who you are, for how you take care of us, for how you watch over us, how you protect us. And Father, we gather this morning that we might sing your praises among the congregation. Father, that we might lift up your name this morning. Father, that we might do that which you built us for, you made us for this, Lord, to give you glory and praise and honor. And Father, that's our prayer this morning, that we might join our voices as one and make that beautiful noise in your ear. Lord, that we might join our voices as one and just sing your praises. And Father, we just are so thankful for those who are here this morning. Father, bless each and every one this morning. Father, may we take away from this time knowing why you want us to sing. 
Father, why you ask us to sing. Father, why you command us to sing. Father, that once again, we might just lift you up, that we might exalt you on your throne. So, Father, again, just thank you for making this available to us, that through your Son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself to make a way for us to you. So, Father, we just humbly, humbly bow this morning in the name of your Son, the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Glorious ruins. Kind of an oxymoron. It'd be crazy to believe that we should search for glory within the debris of one's ruins. But in the demands of the gospel, glory and ruins are like a two-sided coin. They're indispensable. The call of Christ is to die. We are called first and foremost to die to sin. Ourselves, our selfish desires. Unless we first learn to die in utter ruin, there can never be any resurrection into Christ's glorious life. I'd like to take this time and recap a sermon by Brian Houston. Brian Houston is the founder of Hillsong Christian Church. Hillsong has, uh, has become this worldwide church. They have campuses all over the world. Um, this is what Brian says. We serve a God who takes ruined things and brings them to life. Humanity tends to take glorious things and ruin them. God takes what is ruined and makes it glorious. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 11, it talks about the massive cedars of Lebanon. These cedars were the pride and the joy of the Jordan, but they were in ruins. The temple in Jerusalem Nebuchadnezzar saw to that, right? It's also in ruins. But even though this temple was in ruins, the glory of God was inside. But the glory of the Old Testament temple was in ruins. This can be compared to humanity. Humanity was glorious as God made us in his own image. But through sin, the glory that God created was ruined. Individually, we can say the same with our dreams where what God gave us was ruined. Maybe families. Maybe marriages. Maybe ruined relationships. Are there people here on the edge of financial ruin? Are those who have been through it already? Ruined innocence. Ruined anything. Well, God takes those ruins and brings them to life. When you sing songs, they're songs of hope, not defeat, because we believe God can take what's ruined and do something with it. Ruins represents our past. Ruins not only speak of better days, but former disasters and sheer neglect. Ruins can speak of crushing defeat or abandonment. All I know is that God takes ruined things and brings them to life. What God is wanting to do in your life is glorious. Speaking from the book of Ezra, a Babylonian king had destroyed the temple of God and taken the people of Jerusalem and the Jews 
were displaced in Babylon. The temple was literally a smoke and ruin. The king had left it in ruins. But Ezra 9 talks about grace of ruins being made glorious. God gave us a remnant to escape, to give us a stake in his holy place, that we were all slaves. Thank God we're not who we were, but a people of hope because of Jesus. Yet God did not forsake us in our bondage, and he revived us in the eyes of the king of Persia, and he let us rebuild the ruins in Judah and Jerusalem, repairing the ruins. Even the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, starts by talking about Jesus Christ when Job declares, my Redeemer lives. Jesus was the ultimate example of what was glorious, and he left his place of glory in heaven and emptied himself of God's glory, and he allowed his body to be ruined, murdered without a cause. But then ruins came to life. Ruined things are going to come to life. The Ezra verses talk about release, that we were slaves. They talk about release, revive, repair, rebuild. Those four words. Ezra is a beautiful book, and it's written around a time where God's people in Babylon were displaced, and it starts bringing hope as we look at this book. We see a few ideas of work here, that there is power in praise. People can easily underestimate the power of praise, and there's a reason that we start each one of our services with this praise. Ezra 3.10 says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, so it's just the foundation. They just laid the foundation. The priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites with their cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinances of David. And they sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. He is good and his mercy endures forever. And the people shouted with a great shout and the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So these are only foundations. This is not yet something made glorious. It's still a ruin, but it has the beginnings of a new day. If you want your life to fulfill the glorious promise and potential God has for it, never underestimate the power of praise. Praise doesn't belong just after the miracle and after a turnaround. It belongs before the miracle. What are you facing in your life? What are your ruins? A great foundation for any miracle is praise. We begin our services with praise because Psalm 104 says, we'll enter his gates with thanksgiving. But it's just not about that. What made Moses a great leader? Moses was a great leader is that the people after God had opened up the Red Sea and escaped from death and destruction and they returned to slavery and they were worried about returning to slavery, they all sang. They're praising God after the miracle. But before the miracle, they're complaining and whining and the army is coming and they're worried. And But Moses was a leader because before that miracle happened, he praised God at the river's edge. Praise got Peter out of prison. Praise can get you out of anything. Depression, discouragement. 
It gives you a platform for ruined things to become glorious. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He was facing the death of one of his close friends, Lazarus. Jesus comes into the situation, and Lazarus is dead. There's no question. In the Middle East during that time, they would put them in a tomb and cover it with a rock. Lazarus has been dead four days. Can you imagine what four days of a dead person in a... Martha says it this way. Jesus came to the tomb and said, please take away the stone. And Martha said, Lord, by this time there's a stench. That means he's been dead for four days. Yet they took away the stone from the place where the dead man lay, and Jesus thanked the Father that he had heard him. This miracle hasn't happened yet. Lazarus is still dead. But while he's still dead, Jesus takes away the stone and says, Father, thank you. You've heard me. Father, thank you. You've heard me. He repeated that and says that he said it for everyone around him. Then he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. If you want your ruins to come to life, especially in the things that you believe so deeply for, praise him early in the morning. Praise him all night long. Get worshiping God and get ready for work to be on the way. Just start singing. Sing. Everybody talks to themselves in their car, right? Roll the windows up, sing. And watch your ruins come to life. Ruins can become glorious with prophetic power. Ezra talks about the ruins, charred leftovers of a glorious temple. Ezra 6.14 says that the Jews prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai and Zechariah were two Old Testament prophets, the second and third last books of the Old Testament, and they're both talking into the rebuilding of the purpose of God. Haggai starts talking about the glory of God later, work being greater than the former, meaning that the next temple would be more glorious than the first, that the best was yet to come. Haggai talks to the people neglecting the house of God and concerned about their own homes. Haggai 2.6 says that God will take the ruins and make them glorious. The glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former, and in this place I will give peace. The glory of what God is about to do is greater than what you leave behind. God will do what he says he'll do. Haggai starts to prophesy about glorious ruins, Zechariah does the same, saying the mountains will become plains, telling people not to despise the day of small beginnings. Zechariah started prophesying Jesus, the ultimate glorious ruin. Zechariah 9.10 says that your king is coming to you just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt. The word of God in your life, prophetic power. It isn't a weird Christian coming up to you, giving you the word of the year or speaking into your future in Jesus' name. Speak a word of the Lord for people who are hurting, people who are lonely, abandoned, 
the least, the lost, the left out. But while you're talking about praising God out of ruins, we're talking about God doing new things. Jesus didn't penalize Martha for doubting. This is a word for people who think that they need to do penance. If you feel like you know that God has a plan for you, but you've done some things that you think God isn't hanging, that God is hanging over your head, well, Jesus hung on the cross so that condemnation didn't have to hang over you. Jesus went through those steps for you. Even now, Jesus, I believe, can do something. That's what Martha said. If you want to walk away from the condemnation that stops you from dreaming correctly, look to heaven and believe that his hand of favor is on you and gone on before you. It's not about what you've done wrong, but what he has done right. Think about how glorious a little baby is. Life itself can do so much to take what God makes glorious and make it ruined. But thank God we have an anchor, that we have hope in Christ. There's also power in personal discipline. Personal power is daily devotion and knowing how to empower your life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Ezra spoke to praise and prospering in the prophecies of God. Ezra 7 talks about discipline. We have to live life and love the word and lead the word. Ezra let the word work through his life. He prepared his life to seek the word. He lived God's word and taught others the word. When we know the power of praise and personal power, God takes ashes and makes them beautiful. Takes what is destroyed and recreates it. Ezra 8.21 talks about the people coming to a river called Ahava and they fasted so that they would get the right power in the right direction. There's something powerful about getting the right foundation. The right foundation for building a home, for building a family and a future. The Lord will show us the right way for our little ones and what we have. If we put God first in our lives, homes, our hearts, and with the power of personal discipline, honoring and trusting him. Trusting him with your home. Trusting him with your family. When we don't know which way we turn, we can see the ruins come to life. When the world caves in, when your courage ends, let your heart find strength in his presence. When the mountains fall and the tempest roars, you are with me. When creation folds, still my sore will soar on your mercy. I'll walk through the fire with my head lifted high and my spirit revived in your story. And I'll look to the cross as my failure is lost in the light of your glorious grace. If you have any decision...
When the mountains fall and the tempest roars, you are with me. When creation falls, still my soul will soar on your mercy. together at the end. Again, just please hold the elements.
us in his image. And that through sin, what was once glorious was now in ruin. We know that through Jesus, that ruin was once again made glorious through his sacrifice, through the things that he did for us, and not just us, for me. We know that he gave himself to make all things new. And in the book of Corinthians, Paul tells us this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we gather around this table every week. And we don't do it out of habit. We don't do it in passing. We do it to do exactly what he says, to proclaim his death. And we don't take this lightly. And we will continue to gather around this table every week so that we will remember would you pray with me? Father God, once again, we just bow before you to give thanks. Thank you for making a way that through your son, through his sacrifice, I have a way straight to you. Father, he made that sacrifice for all of us. For every single person. And we bow before you this morning as we gather around this table that Jesus has set for us. To give thanks for making a way. To lift up the name of Jesus that every knee would bow. So Father, just be with us as we remember this morning. Allow us to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ until he comes again and we know, we believe, we know he's coming again through your glory, that glory that we have in Jesus in his name, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
will also take this time now to contribute to God's work. So gentlemen, if you would like to go ahead and pass plates. Let's pray for this. Father, again, we just thank you for your abundance. And Father, it's our joy to give back to you this morning out of how you take care of us. So Father, just accept our gifts this morning. Father, that we might put those to your uses. Father, that your kingdom on this earth might abound within what we do. Father, take our hands, take our feet, and put them to the task. Father, that we might be Jesus for someone else. Father, that the things that we do with these gifts would bring you glory and honor and praise. Father, that your goodwill would come from it. Again, we just thank you, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand as we sing one more. Sorry, no story this time.
until we meet again. May the abundant love of God surround you. May the extravagant grace of Jesus Christ sustain you. And may the constant presence of the Holy Spirit inspire and encourage you. God bless you all. Have a great week.